0: Well, I'm excited to be kicking off this series today, If at First You Don't Succeed. And this really is a series for everyone because uh, we all desire success, don't we? Um, For some in the room, you would hear that and you go, absolutely. I I definitely, you know, it's the the go-getters in the room. You're all fired up about success and accomplishments and achievements in life. But then there's some folks in the room, you you hear that and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I desire success. And, And part of that is because uh, our, our society, our culture has, has uh, made success synonymous with money. Um, and so we, we kind of think, well, I, I don't want to be a greedy person. I don't want to be a person that's like running over folks in my life to get success. That, that's a part of it. But really, that's just one definition of success. And you may have a different definition of success, but we all desire success. May, maybe yours is, uh, your definition of success is around career or uh, some sort of financial goal, or kind of making it in life. Maybe, maybe your definition of success is around harmony. You think to yourself, oh, I don't want to be successful. I just want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to get along. Well, that is your definition of success. Maybe uh, your definition of success is achieving red status on the Chick-fil-A app. <laughs> I mean, I've been there. I've been there before. It's nice. I'm not going to brag about it, but you know, that's kind of a big deal we, we all have different definitions around success we all want success but we don't always know how to get it do we the things we want in life the, the things that we define as success we don't necessarily know how to get there and, and we're left with this kind of motto this slogan this motivational speech that we were given as a kid that if at first you don't succeed what Try, try again, right? And this is not all bad. I mean, it's great for motivation. It's great for kids, teaching kids resilience, teaching them to not give up. And hey, if it goes wrong the first time, that doesn't mean that you just quit, like you should try it a second time. But, but for us as, as adults, it can make the equation a bit too simple. But when we think if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, here, here's what it equals out to in our mind, that we just identify what we want We try hard enough and we'll get success. And if for some reason, again, whatever your definition is, if for some reason we don't get success, well, then we just go back up to step number two and we go, okay, well, then apparently I did not try hard enough. So I just need to try harder. I need to try, try again. And unfortunately... We've all experienced this in life where we have tried to get something and it has not worked out. And so we've tried again and it has not worked out again. So we begin to see, okay, it's not as, as simple as this. Case in point, uh, it's the 29th of January. Um, how many of y'all would, I know this is gonna take a little bit of courage, but how many of y'all are still upholding your New Year's resolution? Raise your hand so we can see you. Congratulations to you. That's, that's amazing. Did y'all notice that only about seven hands went up in the whole auditorium? How many of y'all would go ahead? And again, again, it takes a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of courage, but you had a New Year's resolution and you've already failed on it in the first 29 days of the year. Yeah, a lot of people are like, I'm not raising my hand to that. But here's the deal. How How many of you didn't even start the year with a New Year's resolution? Hands really high. Now, this shows us something really, really important, okay? Because here's, here's what happens, all right? Just, um, just for example's sake, let's just imagine we're all in this thing together and we have the common New Year's resolution. What, what's a common New Year's resolution? Just shout something out real quick. She said, lose weight and go to the gym right here. And it seemed a little personal there. I don't. That was really strong the way she shouted that at me, so... I don't know how I feel about that, but no, yeah, lose weight or, or, or go to the gym, right? So that's, that's a very common New Year's resolution. So let's say for whatever reason, all of us in here, we decide that's what we wanna do for 2023, and we, what, what do we do? What's the first thing we do? We jump on Google, and we say, how do, you, how do you lose weight? That's the first thing we do. We gotta figure out how to lose weight. We Google it, and then that gives us some sort of plan, and then we think to ourselves, okay, I gotta be really, really committed to this. I gotta try really, really hard. I gotta put as much into this and I gotta set my mind to this as much as I can. And then what ends up happening? We burn out. How, how successful are we? Not very. I mean, we can, we can say that, we can, we can confess that in here. Uh, one, one of the studies that I looked at followed 200 people in their New Year's resolutions and um, as a part of the findings, it said that 77% of the people made it through the first week and they said it in like a positive way. And my thought was, that means 23% of the people couldn't even make it seven days with whatever they were doing, and, and in the end, they followed these folks for two years, and 19% of them were able to complete the two years. But yeah, we're, we're, it's, it's, we've all experienced it before. And, and so, let's say we tried that this January, we had already failed, what are we likely to do this December, 11 months from now, when someone comes to us and says, hey, are you gonna have a New Year's resolution for 2024? We're we're less likely to try next year, isn't it? Isn't that bizarre? Trying, trying actually leads to less trying. We tried this year and we failed. And and the reason why there were so many hands that went up they are like you don't even have a New Year's resolution, it's not because you've never had a New Year's resolution. It's it's because you have in the past and you didn't succeed. Or maybe you've had several in the past and you didn't succeed. Think about this in, in everyday life. Um, All of us in here, we we have a a personality, a wiring, uh, a temperament that uh, we're we're born with, but we also is shaped by the environments we grow up in, the parents that we had, um, the the friends that we had growing up. And so we all have a natural leaning in various areas of life. Some of us are are more organized and some of us are more disorganized. Um, And some of us are more relational. Some of us are more task oriented. And in all these areas, we kind of realize or notice, hey, I need to be more of the other thing. Maybe I'm, I'm too relaxed and I need to get more motivated or I'm too motivated and I need to learn to just relax. Or, or maybe this, this often plays out with the people that, that we live with in life. If you've got a roommate or a spouse, it's like one of you is on one side and the other of you is on the other side. And uh, so it's like one roommate leaves dishes in the sink. The other one can't believe, like why would you ever leave dishes in the sink? And those of us in the room that leave dishes in the sink, you're like, well, it's, it's shaped like a bowl. Like it's designed to hold things. It should hold things. If you never leave anything in it, then it's not really serving its purpose. And the other people are like, you're such a slob. Like put the dishes in the dishwasher. Uh, maybe it's uh, in some other area of life, it's, it's patience, it's self-control. Maybe you're, you're such a relational person that you never get anything done. You're always, oh, there's people, people, people. And it's like, oh yeah, all the tasks I need to knock out in life are left on the back burner and you need to get focused on tasks. Or again, you're more task oriented. It's like you're always doing stuff and you can blow right past all the people in your life. We all have a, a bent. We all have a tendency towards one area or another in life. And it takes intentionality to lean in the other direction. You know, we're going along through life and we realize, oh, I kind of have this deficiency in this one area. I'm, I'm kind of focused or, or naturally do this and I need to try to be a little more of the other side. And so we put the effort in, don't we? We notice it, we're like, okay, I'm gonna try to be more organized or I'm gonna try to be more disciplined or I'm gonna try to be more patient. I'm gonna try to be more self-controlled. I'm gonna try to not leave dishes in the sink. And for some time it works we're able to maintain it maybe for a couple weeks or for a couple months, but eventually, eventually we begin to drift back towards our natural wiring. And what ends up happening in that, especially once we do that dance a couple times is we, we end up getting to a place where we just go, ah, this is just who I am. Yeah, I've, I've tried that. I've tried to be disciplined. I've tried to be organized. I've tried to, get success in this area, but I just end up failing. Yeah, I may be able to do it for a week. I may be able to do it for a month. Maybe able to grit my teeth and make it a couple, couple months. But eventually I just end up back here. And so we get to a place where we're going, you know what, it's just who I am. Or we say things like, well, it's just the way God created me. You know, as if it's God's fault that we left dishes in the sink. And we just kind of throw our hands up and we make this resolve in life of this is just how I'm gonna be. And you know this already. You don't need me to tell you that this is not a good place to be in life. None of us wants to be here. We don't wanna be complacent. We don't wanna just accept what is and and throw our hands up and go, okay, I've got no control all over my life. We all want to know that we have more power over our lives than that. And here's the good news. The good news is that we do. It just doesn't come from trying. There's a different way. There's a better way. That's what we're gonna look at in this series if at first you don't succeed. So if you're here today and you've got something in your life, you're tired of trying. Like if you were honest with somebody, if we were sitting across the table from coffee and we started talking about this issue, you may even tear up saying, I am just tired of trying. I have tried, tried again, and it does not work. It has not worked. If you're tired of trying, the series is for you. Or if you're on the other end and, and you feel like your life is all buttoned up and you've got success in every area of life, there, there might be a few of those folks in here today, this series is for you as well. Because you may be able to identify and see what it is, the things in your life that led you to success. That's what we're gonna dive into over the next couple of weeks. And I'm so glad you're here. And uh, if you're not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, we're gonna be looking at several different scriptures from the New Testament and the Old Testament over the next couple of weeks. And um, one of the fascinating things about scripture is um, they're people just like us. When you, when you read the accounts and the letters that were written back and forth, the people 2,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago or 3,500 years ago, they're still just people. And they have people problems just like you and me. They, the specific problem may play out a little bit differently. Um, but the heartbeat behind it is pretty much the same. And, and they also, they had desires for success just like you and me. Obviously success for them looked much different than for us today. So hopefully as we go through these accounts, you'll be able to find your story in their story. And today we're gonna look at a few of the letters that the apostle Paul wrote. And uh, Paul was uh, not always Paul, originally his name was Saul. And he was actually one of the biggest opponents to Christianity in the early days. He, He wanted to end Christianity before it ever began. And when he was Saul, known as Saul, he he actually intentionally went around and arrested uh, Christians and persecuted Christians. And he had a a pretty broad reputation across Israel uh, for being someone who was very anti-Christian. And then he ended up having uh, this miraculous encounter with Jesus. It's in Acts chapter nine, and you can go read it at some point um, on your own. And when you read it, uh, my my guess is you're, you're probably gonna have a hard time believing, okay, did this actually happen? It's, it's pretty miraculous, it's pretty supernatural. But here, here's the cool thing. The people in the first century that knew Saul and that knew his reputation or had seen firsthand what he did to Christians and how he treated Christianity, well, they would have thought, no, this, this makes total sense. No matter how miraculous it was, they'd say, no, something like this had to have happened in order for Saul to have become Paul, for this person who was so anti-Christian to not just become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but actually begin to lead the movement and impact it more than just about anybody else in the first century. It would have made total sense to them. So Saul becomes Paul and he um, starts various churches. He travels around the Mediterranean, starts these churches and and he writes them letters, uh, uh, encouraging them and and, and pointing them in the direction of following Jesus. What does it look like to follow him in our lives? And um, many of these letters were preserved and eventually bound together in what we have today in our New Testament. And today we're gonna look starting out in in a letter he wrote called the Corinthians. It's written to the people in Corinth, which is in modern day Greece. And in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, he says this to them. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now he's not talking about a real race here, he's using it as an analogy for his audience uh, to to tell them, hey, you you think about a race, think about running a race, there is a way to run the race as to win the race. There's also a way to run the race in life so as to get the prize, so as to achieve success. Your definition of success may be different than mine, but there is a way to run in order to get that success. And I know for, for me, for many years, and for us in the room today, we may see this and think, okay, well, this just means try really hard. Like if you're in the race, you gotta give it all you got. You, you, gotta, you gotta pour out every bit of energy. I mean, when you're finishing that race, your arms need to be flailing and your legs are flailing and everything's going, like you gotta try really, really hard. That's where our minds go. It goes simply to effort. But that's not what he's saying. Look what he says next. Everyone who competes, in the games. And when he says the games, he's um, talking about something specifically that the Corinth people would have known. Corinth lies on an isthmus between uh, two big pieces of land in Greece. And uh, they would have every other year what was known as the Isthmian Games. And they were similar to the Olympic Games, they would happen on opposite years, but a similar experience. It was a huge celebration, festivals, feasts, parties, and tons of competition. Corinth was known for this. And the people of Corinth would have known it. So as soon as he says, everyone who competes in the games, their mind has a very vivid image of what he's talking about. And he says, those people, the the professional athletes who who run in such a way as to get the prize, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They don't just try, they train. It's not just about pouring out tons of effort on race day or on the day of the competition. It's about what they do for the months in the years leading up to that day. It's not effort day of, but all the days leading up to it. And training, training is better than trying. Here's the definition of training that we'll use for our time together today. It's simply practices that enable us to do what we currently cannot do through direct effort. Practices, small things that we can do right now, that that when we do them over and over again, they enable us, they empower us to do what we currently cannot do through trying alone. Definition of trying is simply this, relying on direct effort alone. Saying, I'm gonna rely on whatever I have in the tank to try to get success in this area. And we don't often think about it this way, but it's often what we do when we say, I'll try to do better next time, What we we mean is this. This is another way you can define trying. Doing nothing between now and a future moment and hoping we have the resources needed when the time comes. You know, we we lose our temper and we see that it hurts the folks around us. And we say, you know what? I'll, I'll try to do better next time. And then we don't do anything different in our lives between now and the next time. And we all know what the catalyst is, right, in our lives that causes us to lose self-control or causes us to to hit that moment of weakness. Trying is saying, I'll try to do better next time. I'm gonna try to be more patient next time. I'm gonna try to be more self-controlled next time. What we're saying in that moment, oftentimes, is I'm not gonna really do anything different between now and then, but I'm gonna hope that I have the resources, the willpower, the energy, the self-control that I need in the moment. And Paul in his letter to the Corinthians is saying, hey, 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 stop trying. Stop trying and start training. He continues this analogy and he says that they, talking about the people who run in the, the Isthmian games, they do it to get a crown that will not last. Literally, they would get one of those crowns that was made of foliage. You've seen this, if you've ever seen like Ben-Hur or you know one of these movies that takes place in first century Rome or first century Greece, or you've seen paintings or artwork of the ancient Olympian games. That, that literally is the crown they would get if they won the race. And, and it does not last. They didn't have any kind of like botanical saving gardens, you know, that would keep the foliage crown alive. They didn't have refrigerators, to like stick that thing in there and, you know, it'll make it last longer. It would fade. A week later, two weeks later, that thing would be dried out, brittle. It would break if you touch it. He's saying they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it talking to his audience, the Christians in Corinth, and their pursuit of success. He's saying, hey, if we're successful, it'll lead to a crown that will last forever. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by uh, this crown that will last forever? What's he getting at? He he actually unpacks it a little bit further in another one of his letters. He, He wrote a letter to Timothy, who's his protege. Timothy was his apprentice, um, Timothy was the guy that Paul really thought, okay, when, when I'm gone, I want to pass the baton to Timothy to lead the early church. And Timothy actually wrote uh, numerous letters in the first, uh, excuse me, in the first century in, in, in the New Testament. He co-authored them with Paul. But in this particular letter, Paul is writing directly to Timothy. It's a very personal letter. And he tells Timothy, he says, hey, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. In, in this area that Timothy was in, there was all these legends going around. There's a big group that was following, um, following this, this, this idea that, okay, it's all about secret knowledge. And if you obey these certain things and they came up with all these crazy rules around food and marriage and all these other things, if you obey all these things, you'll get the secret knowledge. And the secret knowledge is what, what it's all about. And he's telling Timothy, hey, look, I know this is going around. Have nothing to do with it. Have nothing to do with it. Rather... Rather, train yourselves to be godly. There's our word again, train. Practices that enable us to do what we currently can't do through direct effort. And he's saying you can train to be godly. Now, th- this word, especially if you're not a Christian, um, can be a little off-putting and be like, oh, godly, I don't, I don't know if I want that. And, and even if you are a Christian, you may feel that way because someone told you at some point in your journey, hey, you're not godly enough. You know, you need to be more godly. And and it was used in a way to kind of judge you and make you feel smaller. And and so it's a word that, again, can just have a little bit of a reaction for us depending on what our church history is, our church background is, or lack of church background. But essentially what Paul means is, he talks about in his other letters, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Like what will happen in your life if God's Spirit is at work in you and he defines it? He says it's love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what Paul means when he says godly. And he's saying you can train yourselves in these things. You don't have to just try. And if you think about it, even if you're not a Christian, these are things that you want in your life. Aren't these the things that we say when we, we get to that moment, we're like, ah, you know what? I need to be, I need to be more patient. I, you know, I, just, I need to try to be more self-controlled. You know what? I need more gentleness in my life. I realized that I was just really harsh in that moment at work or at home. I was a little bit harsh and I need to be more gentle. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you desire those things. And Paul's saying, look, you, you don't have to try. You can train for these things. Let's think about this in, 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 another, uh, in another way. In, in a, uh, um, Paul talking about a race. Um, I'm just curious how many people in here, if you went out right now, you went out right now, could run a full marathon without stopping, 26.2 miles without stopping? I see one hand over there. Congratulations, that's amazing you're obviously training and and, and ready for a marathon. Um, So how many of you, how many of you, if there was $100,000 on the line and if you completed the 26.2 miles without stopping, you got to run the whole 26.2 miles. How many of you try, you would try really, really hard, right? How many of you could go out right now and run that marathon? A couple more hands. I think you're overestimating your ability. (laughs) Um, Now, what, what, what if, what if though, just, just change one little thing about it. What if that race was 12 months from now? What if you had a year? And again, you were fully motivated, fully motivated. That's why I got to put the $100,000 on the line because some of y'all are like, I, I, I will never try to do that. I don't want to run an marathon. That is the definition of insanity to me. That's why I got to put the motivation on, okay? $100,000, maybe it needs to be more to really get you motivated, whatever it would take to get you really, really motivated. Your boss tells you you got to do it. Like you're gonna lose your job if you don't run this marathon. 12 months from now, you're fully motivated. How many people could run 26.2 miles without stopping? Yeah. My, my, guess, my guess is probably 80% of the room could do that. And what's the difference? What would you do between now and 12 months from now? Yeah. You would, you would arrange your days You would arrange your days so that you could, uh, you may have to start walking. You may just have to walk first before you run, but you would start getting walks in. And then you would get short runs in. And then you would get multiple runs in a week. And then you would begin to ramp up that mileage. And gradually as you build over the next 12 months, it would enable you to run 26.2 miles without stopping. I am a, a bit of a runner. I have a, kind of a love-hate relationship with running, but most, mostly love. And, and it started actually in this room in 2008. I first came on staff at Brownsbridge. We, um, we were doing a, I was on the groups team. We were doing a groups event in here on a Saturday night. The event was over. And so we were putting all these chairs back out so we could have church on Sunday morning. And I, I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. I was somewhere right over in this part of the auditorium in my boss um, at the time said, hey, um, I wanna invite you to do something. Um, and at this time, I'm, I'm not a runner at all. I had tried to run in high school. I tried to run cross country. I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever experienced in my life. And I committed to never do it again and never try it again. And um, so in this, uh, this moment, uh, the, the, my boss comes to me and says, hey, um, I've been invited to do this, this race up in D- D.C. It's an adventure race. It's a 200-mile relay race that a 12-man team runs over the course of about 30 hours. And they invited me to do it. And I told them, hey, I'd, I'd love to, but I'd love to bring somebody with me from work. And so he invited me. And I don't know if this was part of like new staff hazing. <laughs> like, oh, here's the new guy, watch this, you know? Um, but you know, when, and, and, and again, at the time I, I was not a runner at all, but you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm, I'm new to the job. And if your boss asks you to do something, you just do it. And so it's like, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in, let's do this, you know? And so, you know, he, he says, well, from what I understand, like you, you got to train if, if you want to be able to complete the, the, the relay race and not like really drag the team down, you got to train for a half marathon. So I thought, okay, great, let's, let's put a half marathon on the calendar. So I founded a half marathon here in Atlanta in March of that year, a month before the relay race was gonna happen and signed up for it. And that motivated me to start training. And, and I literally, I went out, I think the first day I ran one mile and I was really, really sore the next day. And I thought, uh-oh, this is not a good start. Um, but then you know, I was able to run two miles and then I started running several times a week and then I started doing long runs. And if, if you're a runner and you've ever done any one of these training plans, you know how it works. You do a couple runs during the week, two or three runs during the week, and then on the weekend, you do your long run. At first, I did five miles. Never thought I'd be able to do that again since you know cross-country in high school. Then I did six miles. Then I did seven miles. And then I did eight miles. And it was like, you better lose yourself in the music, the moment you own it. You better never let it go. You know? And I just, I just, kept, I just kept building, right? Got to nine miles, 10 miles, finally, Race day came in March of that year and I completed 13.1 miles, a half marathon without stopping. Again, something I never thought I would do in my life. The funny thing is we, we got to the, the relay race about a month later up in DC. And, and again, this is a 200 mile race. And my big concern was I don't wanna be like the weak leg on the team. I wanna be contributing to the team. I don't wanna be like real, real slow in, in, the, in the runs. I wanna, I wanna contribute and... So that's the reason why I train so much because I was worried about that. Well, we, we start the race and, and again, you, you, you go in order. You're numbered one through 12 and our first runner is starting the race. We're there at the start line with all these people and there's all this fanfare and we're cheering. Woo, go, you know, he takes off. And so we head over to the van and we kind of get our stuff in the van and, and uh, we start driving to the next checkpoint where we pick him up. We said, hey, let's, let's drive the, the race course and see how our, our guy's doing. And this is no joke. We come up over the hill. We're about a half a mile from the start line and he's walking. (laughs) I was like, dude, we got 200 miles to go. You need to pick it up. (laughs) And I all of a sudden felt way better about myself and my contribution to the team. But that's what training does. That's what training does. And this idea, this idea of training makes so much sense when we talk about a race. We talk about a marathon. Every one of us in here nodding like, yep, I see it. But here's what I don't want us to miss today. And here's what Paul doesn't want us to miss today. That training is just as true and just as effective in the things that we cannot see. Our spiritual health our mental health, our emotional health. And things that we would probably agree on that these are the most important areas and important things in our lives. Look at how Paul says it. He continues, he says, train yourselves to be godly for physical training is of some value. He's like, I'm not trying to dog physical training. If you wanna compete in the games, compete in the games. If you wanna run a marathon, run a marathon. If you wanna train for a CrossFit competition, knock yourself out. And there is some value in it. But godliness, godliness has value for all things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Training in those things has value for all things. You could even rewrite it this way. For physical training is of some value, but invisible training, training for the things we can't see, that actually has value for all things. All situations. All people. If we commit to do something physically in our life, hey, we're gonna train for this thing and and maybe it's your New Year's resolution and you've got it going, like that's, that's valuable. It's probably gonna impact you the most. If you have success in that area, most areas of your life will probably not be affected one way or the other. But if you train for invisible things, it'll affect all things all situations, all people. I think about my time as a runner over the last 15 years or so, since it started in this room. And I've run a lot of races and trained for different races and um, had a lot of fun doing it. And in prep for this message, I thought about how, how, how has this impacted Kelly and the boys? Those, those are the people in my life that, that matter the most to me, my wife and my kids. And as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? It probably has benefited them in some way that dad's a runner. Just in my attitude, the way I feel, my energy. I'm sure sure there's some some, some contribution to them in that way. Maybe modeling for my kids. Hey, here's how you work hard towards something and achieve success, whatever it is. But it, it also has probably taken me away from them some. I try not to do that, but there's been times where it's like I go out to train for a race if I'm, if I'm trying to run a long race. It's like, it takes, it takes me away. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I think overall though, it's had a net positive effect, but probably a little bit. But you know what will have a massive effect? You know what has, is guaranteed to affect my wife and my kids and not just them, but everybody here at Brownsbridge that I work with, everybody I run into, in the community it's not the physical, but the invisible. Those moments where I get up early and spend time with God to work through the stuff that's in my heart, where maybe I'm holding resentment towards someone and I'm praying about that and I'm releasing it to God. God is training me in forgiveness in that moment. And when I train in forgiveness, then I don't carry whatever those burdens are, whether it's from work or, or a conversation I had, or you know, a disgruntled, a disgruntled church member, not that we have those around here, but then when I've been training in forgiveness, I don't bring that home to my wife and my kids. When I train in patience, when I remind myself throughout the day, oh yeah, I don't have to get it all done in this second. It's not up to me to determine the outcomes of everything. I am ultimately not in control. God is in control. When I find ways to remind myself of that, it, it trains me in patience. And Kelly, the boys benefit from that. My coworkers benefit from that. My friends benefit from that. That guy on Georgia 400 that just cut me off, he benefits from that. I've trained in patience. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you've got some sort of physical hobby. Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've got, again, something that you're, uh, you've, you've got a resolution for 2023 and, and you're really just, you're, you're holding strong to it and you're doing it. That's physical training and it's gonna be of some value. But let's not fool ourselves and think that that's enough. Let's be training ourselves in the things that matter Most. What do you need? Love? Joy? You, you've noticed that you, you've just got this kind of constant sadness in your life. And I'm not talking about clinical depression. That's obviously, that's a clinical issue. It needs to be treated in that way. But, but for a lot of us in here, it's just an attitude thing. We need a checkup from the neck up. We need to quit our stinking thinking. You need more joy. You need to train for joy, not just try to have joy. Not just notice, I've been a little gloomy lately. So I'm just gonna try to be more positive. Well, we know where that's going to lead us. Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What's that area for you? Where do you need to stop trying and start training? Whatever it is, I wanna give us one step to get started today. And this this is the first step that we must take if we wanna get off the train tracks of trying that are wearing us out and get on the train tracks of training. That sounds weird. I just said training twice, train and training, but one step. Because we're gonna have a tendency to just try, try again. Whatever the area is for you, I don't know what it is. The very first thing we have to do is we have to say, I can't. I can't. We have to admit that I I can't manage this thing. I can't manipulate this thing by direct effort. I can't just try. And this, you you may push back against this. You may see this, oh no, that's an awful thing to say. It may sound weak. It may sound like giving up and giving in. It's not. Unless you say this, You will never start training. Remember our definition of training? Look out here. Practices that enable us to do what we currently cannot do. We only train for things that we cannot do. We don't train for things that we can already do. None of us needs to to train ourselves to, to go pick up a donut in the break room at work. We know how to do that. None of us needs to train in how to sleep in or, or train in how to overspend when we're shopping and Amazon says, hey, customers who purchase this also purchase dot, 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 okay? We don't need to train in that. We've got that down. We, we, listen to this. We, we don't need to train, some of us in the room, we don't need to train to lose our temper. We can already do that. No, you train for what you cannot do. And the things that we need most in this room things that we struggle to get, if we're gonna train in them, we gotta start with, I can't. We gotta admit that our previous efforts were not enough. One of the most impactful organizations in modern history is the 12 Steps Movement. Um, If you are in recovery or you know someone that's been in recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous, NA, Al-Anon, it's one of the most life-changing programs in recent history. And so much of the 12 steps are rooted in the church, are rooted in a relationship with Jesus. And do you know what the first step is? The first step is I can't. The the way they word it, step one of the 12 steps is we admitted we we were powerless over whatever that thing is. We admitted we were powerless over it and that our lives had become unmanageable. Unmanageable, meaning we, we had tried and tried again, but we couldn't. Manage it. There's no hope of recovery if you don't start here. And in most of us, we see this and we're going, no, 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 no. And this happens all the time in, in 12-step meetings. That, that people are like, oh yeah, yeah, can I just bypass this step? Like, give me something that, that I can do. Give me something that I can control. And it's like, no, that's the whole point. You can't control it. That's why you gotta start here. And I realize that we're not all addicts in the room. You may think to yourself, I'm not an addict. And you may push back on this. But in that one area of your life, isn't this true? Haven't you tried, tried again? You haven't been able to manage it? I know for me, a big, big moment in my life came in 2011 when I was having... um, a lot of career challenges. I kept bouncing back and forth, from ministry, to corporate, to other ventures. And I finally got to a place where I had tried enough and I just said, hey, I can't, I can't. And ended up working with a counselor. And I'll tell you a little bit more about this in, in week three of this series. But long story short, started unpacking um, uh, my, my family of origin and some of the things that I believed were true about life that I was unaware of. And it led me back to ministry and ultimately led me here today. Saying I can't is a powerful, powerful thing. And again, I don't know what the area is for you, but if at first you don't succeed, admit that you can't. Because then you'll stop trying and you'll start training. And for Christians in the room, this is what makes room for God Oftentimes we try to do it in our own power and in our own strength. I'm gonna solve this. I'm gonna fix this. But admitting that we can't, it opens the door for God to be at work. It assumes that he is here. I'm not just here on my own having to figure this out on my own, but God is here in this with me and he wants to help me figure this out. And then we'll start training. So this is where we have to start. And because this is where we have to start, this is where we're starting this series. And we'll continue it next week in part two. If at first you don't succeed, invite somebody, invite somebody, invite somebody. And we'll be back at it next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that um, we can make room for you in our lives. And that it's not up to us to solve all the world's problems. And it's not up to us to solve all of our own problems. And all of us in here have experienced trying to solve them and not having success. We know what that feeling's like. I pray today, God, that we would begin to see what Paul talked about. That we can train for the things that matter most. And that ultimately by doing that, we will find success in them and we will be more connected to you in the process. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.